you turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 12? And like Jeremy said, we've been in a series called Many Members, One Body. Many Members, One Body. And it's so amazing to watch how the Apostle Paul, the Holy Ghost through the Apostle Paul, he describes to us uh, the body of Christ being like the members of a body, all having their parts, their own part to play, all having their place in the body, all having a grace to bring and to deposit within the body. And when the whole body is working together, all operating in its own function, it makes everything so much better. And right here, it's so good. I'm going to read this to you. It says this in verse 12, for as the body is one and has many members, but all the members of that one body being many are one body. So also is Christ. If you skip down to verse 20, it says, But now indeed there are many members, yet one body. Many parts, yet one body. And this idea of one brings with it a sound of unity. Oneness, oneness, harmony. And we know if you've been with us over the last several weeks, now if you haven't been here and this is your home church, go back and get this every teaching and feed on every single one. You need what God is speaking to this body if it's your local body. And there are things that we get when we are joined to one another. There are joinings. You know, there's joints in the body of Christ. And there's joints in this natural body. And these joints are there to join parts together. And God has placed us in each other's lives for a reason. And it's so important to find out where your joinings are, who your joinings are, and to be in that place and to be faithful in that place. Not coming to church once a month, but coming to church to the local body that God has joined you to. And being in that place, being faithful to bring your part or your supply. And some people say, well, you know, I just come and I show up and I hear the word. Well, you know, at some point, that's not okay. At some point, when we grow up into the head, into the body, we have a job to love our brethren and the other people in the body. We have a job to come together and bring our supply and grow up in the things of God and to not just come and take and be a consumer, but come and contribute. This is how we grow up in the things of God, mature in the love of God. We're not just looking for someone to love us and give to us. We're looking to love someone else. So as we have come, like, studied this series week after week, it's been so amazing to see how God has showed us the difference between human love and agape love. You know, human love, it says, I'll do for you if you do for me. But the, the agape kind of love, the God kind of love, it says, I do for you, period. I do for you, no matter what you do for me. It's not consumed with self. Love is not self-seeking. And you know, we went over this in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. But Paul was addressing this Corinthian church 
who had become so self-absorbed. They had let the world and all of its politics infiltrate the church. And there were all of these uh, political parties starting to form within the church. You could say they were factions, little groups within the whole. And instead of making one sound to be heard in praising and thanking the Lord, they had made all these little sounds. They had started to bicker. They had started, they had started to uh, divide. And there were divisions stirring up. And because of those divisions and because of that party spirit or that selfish ambition or that selfishness, there began to be these little groups that developed within the whole. And instead of being many members, one body, they became many members, many members, many bodies. But God has called us to be many members, one body. And we saw how in the Old Testament, when they all came together together to dedicate the temple to the Lord, do you remember? They made one sound to be heard in praising and thanking the Lord. They all, it says the Levites left their groups or their factions. They left all their duties and all the things that separated them. And they separated themselves to come together with one voice. And as they lifted their voice together and began to praise and thank the Lord, it no longer became many sounds. It became one sound. And there's an, we have the ability to come into the place and to come into such unity in a place where the oil, the anointing is able to run down over the head. And the Bible says in Psalms that how good and pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. It's like that's the place and that's the moment that the anointing is able to flow down from the head who is Christ. And down over the whole body, all the way to the feet. And it says there in that passage, there the Lord commands the blessing. The blessing of the Lord is on that unity. It's not on division. It's not on discord. But it's on harmony. And it's in the middle of unity. So we want to become a body that is many members, not many bodies, many members, one body. Amen? Amen. So that's what we're talking about these last few weeks. And, and really, it's an amazing thing because we're all given a gift into the body. Jesus has called us, given gifts unto men. Some are called into the fivefold ministry. Some are called into different administrations in the church, different ministries of help. But every single one of those parts are equal in function, or not, um, let's just say it like this. I always say this, it's all, I have to stop and think of it, but we are all different in our functions, all different in our ministries unto the Lord. That doesn't make one or the other better than the other. And that's kind of, that's really what we've been focusing on when we've been talking about the difference between selfish ambition, trying to make your way to the top without the interest of anyone else. And then the love of God, which is always thinking about everybody else all the time over self. And the Bible says that in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Remember we talked about the sounding brass or the sounding gong? And how the sounding gong is there. If you think about what a gong traditionally does, 
It is the sound we make to announce the start of a performance or a play or a magic show. You know, we talked about that this place, that a house of worship, that, a, that, that the house of the Lord is a house of worship. It is not a performance hall. And a performer receives glory of man, but a worshiper gives glory to God. And what a difference, right? So we are really still building a foundation of what this church is called to be, called to look like. And we are a house of love, not a place full of self-centered, party, uh, fighting, strife-filled people. We lay down our lives for our brothers and our sisters, and we're building a foundation of love. And Paul is telling the Corinthian church this, that although you have all these gifts, although you even are operating in the gifts of the Spirit, and you are seeing God move, although you're doing this, you are lacking one thing, and it is the love of God being the motivation behind your ministry. And you know, I heard this in my spirit when I first began to pray over this. I heard that selfish ambition is the greatest enemy to us fulfilling our ministries. Self-seeking. The desire to promote one's interest over another. Uh, the, The desire to be seen. The desire to be heard. The desire for place. The desire for position. These shouldn't be found in the person who is living and walking by faith. God's way, Jesus, our master, his way is the way of a servant to lay down his life for a friend. And you know, even the Bible tells us that if we would humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God, that in due time, He will lift us up. He will exalt us. And didn't he do it with Jesus? The one who laid down all of his earthly, uh, his, his whole position. And he came to earth as a servant, laid down his life. And it says that he has now been exalted and seated high. And he's been given a name. What is that? That's a position, a place above every name. And every knee shall bow, and every tongue confess that he is Lord. So as we've been studying this, we see that no, even though we have these gifts, even though these gifts are supposed to be used, it even says in 1 Corinthians 12, chapter 31, that we should desire, earnestly desire or covet these gifts. And then he says this, but I'm going to show you a more excellent way. And what is that more excellent way? It's the way of love. And if there's not love operating behind every prophetic word, if there's not love operating behind every action that we give to someone, every service, every bit of um, our, and everything we do, if there's not love as the motivation behind what we do, then we become nothing. And we profit nothing. Thank you, Lord. 
So the love of God should be the foundation of every church, should be the foundation of our body working together, functioning together, operating together. And then we are able to see God move in great ways. So the Corinthian church, they didn't just have a bunch of problems happening in the church. They had a love issue. And you think they had 10, 11, 12 problems that Paul needed to address. But really, they had an issue of love. They didn't understand God's love for them, and they didn't operate in the love of God toward each other. Everything had become self-serving. What can I do to bring glory to myself? What can I do to serve myself? And so he goes on to correct this with 1 Corinthians chapter 13, which we get as the great love chapter. And then last week, we also discussed what division started to creep up in the church. And how did this show up in the church? Well, it was through conversations. They begin to talk to each other about different ministers that they related to more than other ministers. One began to say, I'm of Paul. And another began to say, well, I'm of Apollos. And Paul corrects it and he says, why are you talking so much about me? Why are you talking so much about the servant that God is using to deliver the word? It's man that sows seeds. We are sowing seeds every week in this church. And if you're not here, you don't receive those seeds planted in your heart. But see, the word of God will come up in a great harvest if you're here to hear it week after week after week. And what Paul was saying was we sow the seeds and he actually says we're nothing in that. Well, compared to God, that's what he's comparing himself to. But he says, it's God who gives the increase. I sow, another waters, another comes along, they sow, and then another comes along and they water, but it's God who gives the increase. So what should we be doing every week in this church, looking to God to give us what we need week after week after week? And so Paul began to tell them, you are still carnal. You're still acting like little children because of your, this is one reason, your divisions, your selfish ambition, and your strife. Now, selfish ambition, if you look at James chapter 3 and 4, which actually you can turn there with me, this word, I'm just going to read this to you, um, James chapter 3 it starts out with, in verse 14, if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, do not boast and lie against the truth. For this wisdom does not ascend from above, but it's earthly, sensual, demonic. Where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. Now this word for self-seeking it is the same word for selfish ambition and strife. And it's actually, if you study it in the Greek, it means that someone is electioneering or intriguing for office. So it's a political term. A desire to put oneself forward. It's a partisan, a, um, a factious spirit, a self-speaking pursuit of political office by unfair means. You've often heard people, um, you know, the desire, 
let's just say it like this. When you come into a body and God places you in a body, there should be the kind of heart in that, in that obedience to God that says, I am here to serve and I am happy to help. And if you've been with us any amount of time, so many of you, how many in here are on our service teams? And, and some are um, actually have signed up and are about to start serving them more. Um, that's almost everyone in here. I think we have 170 people on our um, service teams that are faithful week after week after week. It's awesome. But our motto for our service teams is here to serve, happy to help. And you know, one of these um, ministries that, that Paul lists out in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, the different parts of the body, is the ministry of helps. And this is such an intricate part, such a wonderful part. Did you know that if you are called into the ministry, then you are also forever for the rest of your life called into the ministry of helps? A lot of people say, no, 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 I'm called to the fivefold ministry. No, 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 let me tell you. <laughs> If you are called into the fivefold ministry, any of the ministry gifts, for the rest of your life, your job is to spend time helping people. And a lot of people think ministry is this big thing like, oh, you get to be on stage and you're in bright lights and oh, you got all your, you know, you're out there in the front. You're, you know, it's just, it's just this stardom. That's not what ministry is. Ministry can be translated simply service. And it is also, really, if you look at the heart of it, it's simply to be a help. Now, if you're really getting down to the nitty-gritty and you look at the church, the operations of the helps ministry that are supposed to be found within the church, there are very, uh, it's amazing to watch how the Bible describes it, but very distinguishable areas, but it simply means just to be a help. And if anyone ever wants to go as far as God's called them to be, maybe it's in this preaching, teaching ministry, maybe it's an apostle, a prophet, an evangelist, a pastor, a teacher, all these different ministries. First, someone has to develop a heart to help over anything else. And this church right here, this place, I'm telling you, we've had the Lord speak words to us that this place was going to be known far and wide for our warm hospitality. Our ability to love people, welcome them in, and, and cause them to really experience the love and the presence of God. When someone comes to your home week after week, or when you have uh, maybe you have friends over, don't you want them to leave feeling so blessed? I always think about this when people come over to my house. I want to make them something really good to eat, okay? This is my, this is my tactic. None of my family knows this. Maybe they do. But I've always got a plan, of how I can have the best coffee waiting on that coffee bar. Or I can have some yummy meal because they're always going to want to come back and see me. Justice and Jesse, I'm going to make them mashed potatoes. All, all as much as I can because you know what? Justice, when he graduates from high school, he's going to come home from mama's mashed potatoes. He loves those mashed potatoes. And he sits at that table and he says, oh, mama, these are so good. You should see. I've got pictures of me in mashed potatoes because he enjoys them so much. But what is that? You're creating with your food or with your warm hospitality a sense of, uh, it just 
it's just like this sense of, it's love, really. It's, I want to do for you. And when you keep on sowing seeds of love into people's lives, those will come back to you. They'll come back to you in a harvest. I remember, actually, I didn't think about this. When I first had justice, I was sitting down to eat with um, Brother Cope, Papa Copeland. We were at his house. And, you know, Justice's little babies, they were, you know, they, they cry a lot. They, it's a lot of work. And they're wonderful. They're a blessing. They cry. Anybody in here working the, the babies? Uh, oh, my. You guys should love on them after church because they are, they're so blessed to do it. And they're such servants. But, you know, it's a lot of work. And sometimes you don't know why they're crying. Sometimes they're, you know. But all that to say, when he was little... I remember Papa telling me, he said, you know, right now, all you're doing is you're sowing seeds. You're sowing seeds. You're loving. They can't love you back. You're loving and you're loving and you're sowing and you're loving and you're sowing and you're loving and you don't feel like they love you, but you're sowing and you're loving and you're sowing and you're loving. You know, soon enough, sometime at some point down the line, that harvest is going to come back to you. And all the seeds of love that you sowed. And all the times that you gave mercy when people didn't deserve it. And all the times that you loved because God said to love. They're going to come back to you. And you're going to receive a harvest. Sometimes we don't just reap for years and years and years. We sow. We sow. And we sow. We plant. We water. And you know what? At some point, God will give the increase. All that to say... That now Justice is about to be a teenager. And the other day, guys, I, I had a midlife moment. I'm almost 40. And I had, I'm not going to say crisis because I don't confess those things over my life. I had a moment where I realized that my 12-year-old was about to be a teenager. Anybody else in here have that moment? Okay. I started bawling, crying. I'm like, what is wrong with me? I am, I know mama's in here. They are shaking their head. Yes, they know. They know that feeling. Anybody in here ever been through that? Okay, I'm going to come talk to you later. If you've already had a teenager come through the house. Oh, oh, I know. And then Michael's all grown up. Look at him. He's serving God. All the mamas in here. And so I am having a moment. I am, I am just weeping. And he's just looking at me like, mom, are you okay? You're acting really silly. And, and I just, I just, oh, I was just breaking down crying. I'm like, what is wrong with me? Is it like the, the mid time of my life? I don't know what's going on. And, you know, and I think it was just this realization that he's not my baby anymore. And he's starting to step into these new things that he's, you know, he's, his attention is maybe being drawn elsewhere. And it's just, it's an exciting time and it's okay. It's good. God created it. But I just had this moment, okay? So I'm laying in bed and I'm just crying, crying, not trying to, I'm not feeling sorry for myself. I just have in this moment where my baby, he's thir- almost 13. And I, um, he came in there and he was giving me a hug, trying to comfort me. You know, he's like, mom, really, I love you. It's okay. You know, everything's fine. He was so sweet and so cute. And then a few minutes later, I get a text from him. And he didn't, write me, you know, like, mom, just stop. It's okay. You're being silly. He didn't write me anything like that. All he did was he sang me a song in the text, a voice text. 
And it was this song that he's been that he listened to. We had sang together before, so we kind of knew it. But it just it's this I don't know. It's a few years old, but it just goes like this. It's not even a Christian song. I'm going to sing it for you. You can count on me like one, two, three. I'll be there. Oh my gosh, I'm going to cry. <laughs> oh my gosh. Oh, I'm trying to remember the words now because I'm all just flustered. But, um, and then he just kept singing. He sang the whole song. And it is the sweetest. And if you know the song, you'll know why I cried. But, and it says, um, I know I can count on you like one, two, three. I'm just taking it wrong. <laughs> All I have to say, it's so sweet. And it basically says, you can count on me. I'm going to be there for you. And when you're crying in your bed at night, the, all the words, if you're crying at night, I'm going to be there to sing you a song. And I mean, the love of God, in this, <laughs> he's singing me this secular song. I just felt the anointing and the love of God come all over me. And I just realized that was a harvest on all the seed that we had sown for years and years and years into him, that my baby boy loves his mama. He loves me. All those potatoes, those mashed potatoes. It was worth it. You know, he wasn't in there cooking for me all these years, doing for me. But the high level agape love, it'll love you, period. It's not you do for me and I'll do for you. It's I'm going to do for you. So anyway, <laughs> the love of God is the foundation of what, how all these gifts in the church were going to operate. And um, I don't know how I got off on that tangent. Sorry. I'm going to memorize that song for y'all and sing it for you sometime. But basically, the love of God was a thing. Now, we just, I, I believe that the, the heart of this, the heart of being one body or being in unity comes from being in one mind, in one accord, making the same sound. And really that comes from having that, uh, that desire to yield to each other. To not get over into divisions and strife. These are immature ways of living. But to really get over into a place where we're yielding to each other, where we're loving each other, where we're not caught up in trying, in trying to gain a place, selfish ambition, trying to make our own way. But we're so caught up in loving each other that we defer to each other, that we honor each other. I want to read this to you. It says in Philippians 2, 2 through 4, fulfill my joy by being like-minded. This is what brings God joy. This is what brought Paul joy. Fulfill my joy in being like-minded. That's one mind. Having the same love. Being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interest, but also for the interest of others. I'm going to read this to you in James chapter 3 where we just were. Actually, chapter 4. It says, where do these wars and these fights and this strife come from among you? 
Do they not come from your desires or your lust or your pleasures that war in your members? You lust and you don't have. You murder and you covet and you can't obtain. You fight and you war. Yet you do not have because you do not ask. And what he's saying is, is that you're looking to each other to meet your needs all the time. And instead of just living by the high level agape love and looking to God and trusting God for everything that you need, you're looking to each other to meet your needs. Maybe it's spiritual. Maybe it's Uh, something going on in your soul. Maybe it's something going on that you've dealt with your whole life. You're looking to each other to meet a need instead of walking in that agape love that just gives and gives and gives. And instead of just looking to God and trusting God and having faith in God to work these situations out. He's saying you're getting over into a place of strife because you are so self-centered. And it says here, you, ha- you do not have because you do not ask. You're not asking God to help. You're not asking God to, to do this and move. And you're not trusting God for it. You're looking to man to do it for you. And it's stirring up strife. It's stirring up all these problems and confusion. It's selfish ambition, the desire to make my opinion of you greater than the whole situation. I am going to be right. I'd rather be right than righteous. And so then it says, you ask and you don't receive because you ask amiss that you may spend it on your own pleasures. What is this? Wrong priorities. My desire is that everything would uh, everything would be self-seeking, that I, everything would be there, uh, the whole, everything I'm going after is for my benefit because it'll make me feel better. It'll make me look better. Self-seeking. But then he says this, adulterers and adulteresses. He's not just talking about someone who's in sexual sin. What he's saying here is you're cheating on God. You're flirting with the world. You're desiring the things of the world. You're desiring all these things. You're not, you're not just doing it to please God. You're not going after God. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you think that the scripture says in vain, the spirit who dwells in us yearns jealously? And then he goes on to tell us how to solve the problem of selfish ambition. Humble yourself. Submit to God. Resist the devil. Now you're not fighting with flesh and blood. You're dealing with, you're dealing with spirits. You're dealing with spiritual influences that are coming against you to divide and conquer. You know, the Bible says that a house divided will not stand. And who is behind every moment of division in your life? It's the devil. And if you think you've done all you can do, and there's still division, maybe you might want to check, have I resisted the devil? Have I submitted my will to God? Have I humbled myself under the mighty hand of God? See, humility, submission, all of these things. Serving someone else, you know, we talked about last week, how it's almost impossible for a husband and wife to fight in a house. 
if one of them is standing before the other saying, how can I serve you? How can I help you? When we have people that have grievances or stuff comes up, my first thought, the first thing I say is, how can I help you? How can I be a blessing to you? What can I do to love you? You know, a soft answer turns away wrath. It does. Proverbs 13.10 says that only by pride comes contention or strife. Only by pride comes strife. The best way to deal with selfish ambition is to serve somebody. Go ahead, lay down your life for a friend. So all that to say, selfish ambition, self-seeking, strife, all these things are not God's way, are not the spirit of God. If you're reading in James chapter 3, Verse 16, it says this, uh, verse 17, but the wisdom that's from above is first pure. Have you tried to just yield to that pure thing that's in God, peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy? Now, this selfish ambition I said this, it will be the greatest enemy to you fulfilling your ministry. How many here believe that they are called to the ministry? Okay. So you may be called to an area that works in the church or in the fivefold ministry or even in some of these places, administrations, helps, different areas. But every one of us in the body is called into the ministry. And to find out that, to find out your place in the body, is one of the most fulfilling things you could ever do. One of the most satisfying things is to find out where you belong and where God has called you to serve or minister to another person. This is the very nature of our Savior. This is how he lived, how he breathed, how he moved, how he had his being, everything you see of him. He was here to serve, here to help, here to love. Oh, thank you, Lord. And selfish ambition will be a test that every one of us has to pass. And I know for me, I give y'all, tell y'all a little story about a time where I stood at the crossroads of selfish ambition and the love of God. And I had two options. When I was in high school and in college, I had two jobs. My parents always wanted us to have a job or work and put our hand to do something. I'm so thankful. And one of my jobs, I was a DJ at a radio station. Now, everybody, why do y'all laugh when I say that? 
So this is really funny because Jeremy, actually, every time it comes up that I was a DJ at a radio station, he, like, starts to make this whole comedy routine out of it. And he's, like, doing my voice, like, hey, uh, welcome. To, you're listening to KMTC 91.1 FM radio, keeping you more than a conqueror. And he, like, does this whole voice. And I'm, like, I did not sound like that, first of all. And he's, like, oh, let me tell you your weather for today. It's partly cloudy with a chance of rain. And he, like, does this whole routine. I'm, like, uh, no, I never sounded like that. Oh, it's hilarious. But anyway, he had me laughing last night. He was making fun of me in the kitchen, and I was rolling. I was losing it while I was trying to cook, and I'm crying. And Jessie came in the kitchen, and she said, Mom, are you crying? And she was like, no, she's laughing at me. <laughs> but all that to say, yeah, I worked at a radio station. It was such an awesome job. I enjoyed so much. I got to start out just operating, you know, in that speaking gift a little bit. And God knew what I needed to do. I was around music all the time, and I was just learning how to communicate with people. And um, we'd have people call in and it was really cool. I got to play a lot of good teaching and listen to the word all the time. It's kind of like a dream job, right? For like a teenager. So I did that. And then also when I was in high school, I was approached by a agency outside of my town and they asked me to come and do an interview um, to possibly sign with them to start modeling. And at first I was like, no, this is silly. I was kind of a tomboy and I wasn't into that stuff. But as I talked to my mom, she was like, you know what? You should do it. I think she always wanted me to try things. She wasn't afraid for me to try things. And then she wanted me to find out and like walk with the Lord through each of those things. It was kind of cool. She always trusted me with the Lord. And instead of always preaching at me all the time, she would pray for me, which can be much more powerful than preaching. We talked about that last week. But so I started, when I was in high school, I started this, I ended up signing with this agency. They started booking me with jobs right away. And so those were my jobs. And I would leave, this was a pretty cool setup right here, okay, at the time. So, so I thought. Um, I would get to leave school early a lot. And that was pretty cool. When all my friends had to stay in English, I got to leave and go do my job. And so I would, I was booked for different um, sessions and shoots and I would go and it was kind of like a little bit of a dream um, for someone who was young and uh, didn't know a lot. So I, I would go and I'd show up and you know, it's like, what girl doesn't like to play dress up, right? I got to be, see, like I showed up and there were so many beautiful clothes. The, all these shoes that were in my size, I mean, beautiful, cool shoes, every piece of jewelry you could ever imagine. It was super cool. And then I basically did that all day where I just, you know, took pictures and it was easy, fun. They brought in like the food from the best restaurants. And I just, I had so much fun. And I'm like, this is, this is nice. I could do this. And I enjoyed it. And I did it for years and years. And I made a lot of the paycheck at the end of the week. That was, that was a nice part. And so I, um, this was just became kind of just, uh, it was fun. It was cool, you know. And then as time went on, I got closer to graduating college and I had an opportunity to go to Dallas and to potentially to have some meetings and sign with another agency there. And when I got there, 
there were all these talks and all this conversation about opportunities. Opportunities to be seen and to be possibly like magazine things and more shoots to move to Europe and to begin to do more work over there. And I was with my mom at this meeting. It was very exciting to the flesh. And um, then they asked me to go do a shoot with one of their top photographers, and I did that. And I left and I drove away that night, and my heart was just bothering me. And so I started to check inside, and of course at that time it's so good because I could just bounce ideas off my mom and talk to her about these things. But my heart wasn't satisfied even with the opportunity to move to Europe and to do these other things. And, and I, I just, I was bothered. And I said, Mom, I'm having this conflicting thing going on in my heart. And I really believe God's calling me into his ministry and into his service. What I was saying was, God is calling me to serve his people, not to serve myself. He's calling me to go deeper with him and for my life to be about blessing others rather than what I can get and gain for myself. And so I told her I'm, I'm so bothered on the inside. I think it's time for me to quit. <laughs> And as we drove away, it's amazing. You know, I didn't think of this when I'm talking about it, but even in that moment, at the same time, God began to, I looked out at the window at all the stars in the sky, and for some reason I thought, how am I going to meet the man that I'm supposed to marry someday? With all of the billions of people on the planet, how is God, how is he going to connect me or join me to the right person. And I just had this sense in my heart, if I keep going this way and this, with this opportunity that the world is giving me, that I'm not going to find and be connected to the people that God has called me to be joined to. And I just, it was like this knowing, this thing on the inside where God's talking to me and I'm young and I don't know a lot, but I do know this in my heart. It was, it was bothering me. You know, I always heard our pastor say, if it's not quite, it's not right. And to follow peace. And if you have two options and you're at a crossroads, how do you know which way to go? Which way is full of love for God's people? Or which way is more about you being seen and noticed and known, more known? Which way has peace in the deepest of your part of your heart? And which way is there a little rub that's just, it's not quite. That's how you know which way to go with God. It's not real hard. And so I got home and I had made the quality, this was my quality decision that I was going to be done with this phase of my life. And I was going to separate myself, consecrate myself, for the work of the ministry and to go after God with all my heart. 
At the same time, I had been in a relationship with someone that, who I believed I was going to be married to. And I had been with for two and a half years. And I had just the same rubbing on the inside. This is not my best for your life. And this is going to take you down one road. But I'm asking you to go down another. You know, God will never tell you and I to do something that's not for our best interests. He'll never tell us and lead us in a way that's going to cause us hurt and problems. He's always going to do something and speak to us in order to give us the best life, to give us the be his best plan for our life. And it will bring joy and satisfaction going after God. And so I got home and at the same time, around the same time, I broke up with my boyfriend <laughs> It was just, I had a sense that it wasn't God's best, and I kept seeing these scenarios play out in my mind. You know, this person was even going to my church. He was on my praise and worship team. Uh, we were serving God together, and I still knew something's not right. Why? Because God had something for me, planned for me, that was exceeding abundantly above. But I stood at that crossroads. That crossroads of spirit and flesh, the crossroads of love and selfish ambition. And you would think this was the hardest time in my life. I say it was one of the harder times. I was struggling on the inside. I was hurt. I was, in a way, I was broken from, from a, a long relationship. I was also, had just left um, a job that I thought maybe could be, you know, potential. I left the, the money. I left, walked away from it. And it was a few days later that my grandma called me and she said, Sarah, the Lord has given me a vision of you. I need you to come to my house and I want to tell you what he said to me. She was in tears. She was weeping because she had been so caught up in the presence of the Lord. And she said that she saw in this vision, I was in a field with a long dress on, and this field was full of beautiful flowers. And I was at one end of the field, and I started dancing across the field. She said I had the biggest smile on my face that she had ever seen. It was like I had so much joy overflowing out of the, on the inside, and it was coming out. And I danced across this field and I was singing at the top of my lungs, rejoicing, praising God, lifting my voice. And I was just dancing, singing, praising all across this field. And when I got to the end of the field, there was a giant gate that was very long. And two angels stood at the edges of the gate. And she said, as I danced and sang through the field, the Lord said to her, she was created for my glory. And then he said to her, she has passed three tests. The lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. And as she said that, she said the angels flung open the gates. And I went dancing through, singing full of joy. Now at the time, I did not look like I was full of joy. <laughs> I looked like I was heavy in despair. But what God was saying was, it might look hard in the moment to completely say no and walk away from the world and the things of the world, the pride of life. 
the lusts of the world. But oh, it will be so worth it. And oh, now look what God will be able to do. So I want to read you this scripture out of 1 John chapter 2. And it says this. get there. Verse 15, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in this world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away. And the lust of it or the desires that are in it. But he who does the will of God abides forever. This translation, the New Living, it says this. Do not love the world nor the things that it offers you. For when you love the world, you do not have the love of the Father in you. Or if you are consumed with self, selfish ambition or the things that it will, the world will give you. Or the place the world will give you. That's not the same love that's in the Father. For the world offers only a craving for physical pleasure, a craving for everything we see, and pride in our achievements and possessions. These are not from the Father, but are from this world. And this world is fading away along with everything that people crave. But anyone who does what pleases God will live forever. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. How important is it to find God's perfect will for your life and go after it with all your heart? I'm telling you, when you're doing God's will and you're not trying to make your own way, self-seeking, self-serving, life gets really good. You stop thinking about yourself all the time, Life gets rich. When you start looking to love people and to bless people and to serve people like Jesus does, life gets so rich. It's not all about me anymore. I stop becoming a, a clanging symbol where everybody turns and looks at me to see what I'm doing. I stop living the parade of self. Where when I walk down the street, everyone turns to stare, look and stare. No. The life of love, living in love, is I'll do for you no matter what you do for me. And I'm going to go after God, his way, his love, serving humanity, blessing humanity. I want to read this passage to you. We're almost done. And this is out of Genesis chapter 13. And if you will turn with me, this is the story. Wow, how time flies when you're having fun. Genesis chapter 13. And this is the story of when Abraham, God tells Abraham to get out of his country and from the family or the people that he's always been with and go to a new place, he tells him to step out in faith. And he tells him you're going to be a blessing to all the earth. Well, Abraham had to step out in faith. 
And in chapter 13, it says, when Abraham went, uh, went up from Egypt, he and his wife and all that he had and lot with him to the south, Abraham was very rich in livestock and silver and in gold. He went on his journey from the south as far as Bethel to the place where his tent had been in the beginning between Bethel and I to the place of the altar which he had made there at first. And there Abram called on the name of the Lord. Lot also who went with him had flocks and herds and tents. Now the land was not able to support them that they might dwell together for their possessions were so great they could not dwell together. And there was strife between the herdsmen of Abraham's livestock and the herdsmen of Lot's livestock. Strife. And as I read some commentary on this, I saw that, that this meant that both of the herdsmen were yielding to their leaders, or their owners, Abraham and Lot. They were both trying to gain position over each other. And this was stirring up, this is selfish ambition. It's uh, the desire to have more wealth. The, what does it result in? The, the, the desire to be on top. And remember a couple weeks ago, we talked about how there's two ways to the top. It's either selfish ambition or the God's way, which is love. And in this moment, it says there's strife. It's causing strife. It's causing division because of the desire to be on top. Verse 8 says, and Abraham said, and, sorry, Abram said to Lot, please let there be no strife between you and me. Now this is God's way. This is love's way. This is the mature way to handle every situation with people. And between my herdsmen and your herdsmen, for we are brethren. What was he saying? We are family. Let there be no strife between us. Because we were called to be one. We were made to be in fellowship and communion with each other. So let's stop the strife. And so then he offers Lot. It says this in verse 11. Well, let's say um, verse 9. It is the whole, it's, it's not the whole land before you. Please separate from me. If you take the left, then I will go to the right. Or if you go to the right, then I will go to the left. Now, isn't this just maturity? I'm going to give you the opportunity to choose what you want first. That's love. And then it says this in verse 10, And Lot lifted his eyes. What is that? The lust of the eyes. The desire, that, that overwhelming desire. And he saw all the plain of the Jordan, that it was well watered everywhere. Before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt as you go toward Zoar. So he's saying, this is a beautiful land. And with my eyes, I can see it. But what the problem is, is he's not listening to love on the inside. He's going after his own thing, going after his own ambition, going after the best for his own and then it says this, Lot chose for himself all the plain of Jordan, and he journeyed east, and they separated from each other. Then Abraham dwelt in the land of Canaan. And then it goes on to say that as Lot picked that certain area where he ended up landing because of his choice was close to Sodom, which is a great picture of the world and all of its 
enticing desires, the lures that it tries to uh, grab hold of you, on you with and pull you in. Sodom is a picture of the world. But because the response was not love, because the desires were self-seeking and full of selfish ambition, he ended up in the wrong place. He became disconnected from the people who had loved him. He became disjointed from God's plan. Do you know the Bible says that what God has joined together, let no man tear apart. And so what he did was he separated himself from God's plan for his life because of strife, because of selfish ambition. He set himself up for failure. It wasn't the love of God. It wasn't the agape love motivating him. It was his own selfish ambition. I want to be heard. I want to be seen. I want you to listen to my opinion. I'm not going to choose to yield to you or be in agreement with you. I'm going to go ahead and do what I want to do. This is not the love of God. And so ended up, if you, if you go ahead and read, Lot gets into a lot of trouble. He gets taken captive. And still yet, Abraham... In all his love, with the, the character of God, the, just the, the heart of God fueling his every move, he creates a, he develops a whole band of people to go after and fight for Lot. And he goes in and he gets Lot and he saves and brings him back. But that's the love of God. No matter what you do to me, I'm going to still love you. I'm going to still do for you no matter what you do for me. This is God's kind of love. It says this, you know, I think about this, when you, when self, people talk about getting on top, selfish ambition, trying to rise to the top, trying to find a place, you know, oftentimes it's this desire to be great. It's a desire to be seen or heard. It's this desire just to be somebody. You know, in, your, in and of yourself, that's not actually a wrong thing to want success, to desire, to have promotion. But it's the way in which we make it to the top. And there is a more excellent way. And that is loving God's body, loving the people of God, humbling ourselves under his mighty hand, serving each other every morning when I wake up. What can I do to serve you? What can I do to be a blessing to you? I am going to stop seeking after my own comfort. I'm going to stop seeking after my own plan. And I want to go after God's plan for my life. I want to bless his name forever. I want to give him the glory that is due to his name. I don't want to be a sounding gong or a clanging cymbal. Look at me, look at me. I want to be a voice of love, a voice that brings unity, a voice that is uh, one voice, one sound. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Why don't you go ahead and stand with me this morning? Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. You know, Psalm 1835, it says, Your gentleness 
or your humility or your meekness has made me great. See, we don't have to go after it for ourselves. His gentleness, His meekness in us, His humility operating through us is what will give us a place in the kingdom. It will be what makes us great in the kingdom of God. You know, as Sarah's been ministering to us the last several weeks, I see this theme just woven through like a thread. And it is, of course, the love of God. And we know that according to scripture, it's the love of God that causes the body to grow. The body's edified, built up by love. But what I see in connection to it that I have not seen as clearly as I do now is that our aim as a church is to keep the way of the world out of this church. That how the world does things, the way the world does things, the way the world achieves progress and promotion, that none of that belongs in this church, which is why there will be no power struggle in the church. There will be no competition for place or power or prestige that in the church, we lay all that stuff aside because that's what love does. Love lays all that aside. And what she said today is exactly right. And it is how we grow. I said, it's how we grow. We grow through love, but not the world's way of love where I'll do for you if you do for me. We grow by the agape kind of love that says, whether you do or don't for me, I will for you. Because that's what the love of God has said to us. The love of God said to us, I did, before, I did for you before you ever even knew me. Amen. So just like Jesus said to his disciples when they were fighting about who was going to have the greatest place in the kingdom, he said, look, the Gentiles, that's people outside, they, they're rulers. They like to lord it over them. They love the place of power. They love the, the, the position and the prestige. He said, but it's not going to be that way among you. How many believe he's talking to us too? Not just those 12 on that day, but this church as well. It's not going to be that way in this church. Amen. Amen. We're going to have a more excellent way. What is that? That's the way of love. And he said, I'm not come to serve. Go ahead. No. And he said there that I have not come to be served, but to, but to serve. Yeah. Why don't we say that out loud? I'm not here to be served. I'm here to serve. Say it again. Here to serve. Happy to help. Okay, now say it again, but this time, you know, with some, some excitement about you. I'm here to serve. I'm happy to help. Now that's how we approach life in this house. How should you be approaching life in your house? Same mentality, right? Huh? Here to serve. Happy to help. Husbands, let me talk to you. You and I have the ability to steer the whole atmosphere of our homes. And it can be one of stability or it can be one of confusion and chaos. But if you and I will wake up every single day of our lives and, and have this attitude in our hearts and let these words come out of our mouths, we are here to serve. We are happy to help. It'll change the atmosphere of our home. We will have heaven in our homes. Wives, you as well. We have responsibilities as partners together in our families. Do we not? And it is impossible for two people to fight who are looking there at each other going, how can I help you? What can I do? Are you with me? Thank you so much for tuning in today. We hope you enjoyed this message. If you need someone to pray with you, 
there are several ways for you to contact us. Feel free to give us a call at 817-577-0180. You can also contact us through the Legacy Studios app or either of our websites. Giving options are available online at pearsonsministries.com and legacychurch.family. If you prefer, you can also text an offering. Simply text LEGACY in any dollar amount to the number 28950 and follow the prompts. Be blessed today. We love you. And remember, you are always welcome here in the House of Faith.